Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining me today on the Friday broadcast. Well, today I'm talking to you about the subject of when God has had enough. Okay, and we're going to look at the book of Nahum. And I don't know about you, but if you were raised in a strong Christian home with an emphasis on discipline, you probably figured out pretty quick where that tipping point was for your parents, right? You knew there was a line that you must not cross because if you did cross that line, you would incur the wrath of mom and dad. In fact, you knew when you were getting close to that line based upon the look or the voice tone or the expression, the body language. And so maybe if you're like me, I knew that I was in trouble when my middle name was used, right? Uh, You knew that uh, you're getting close to that line when all of a sudden you get that look. And it's really an imaginary line, uh, but you know where that line is. And so you figured, I'm not going to cross that line. And if you're like me when I was being raised, if I did cross that line, there were consequences. So we look at the book of Nahum today. It's a short book, and we're going to spend just one message on it. But Nahum means comfort or consolation. Now, in this book, there's a message of destruction. It's kind of a Debbie Downer message, right? Because it talks about the destruction of Nineveh. Remember, Nineveh was spared because Jonah went and preached and they repented. And so this is after the book of Jonah. We discover that the people of Nineveh go back to their old ways. Now, the only thing we know about Nahum is found in the very first verse, which says that he was from Elkosh. But we don't know where that was because it's not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. So why was Nineveh now considered evil? Now, the city was nicknamed an evil city probably because, as archaeologists have discovered, that they plundered the wealth of the people of the cities they conquered. In other words, the Ninevites were mean people. When they would go to battle, they would not just go and overtake a country they would plunder that country. They would kill everybody there, and then they would take all the wealth of the people that they conquered, and they often would drag people off with hooks through their noses. So despite Nineveh's great power, the city fell just as Nahum had prophesied. It would not be until the 1800s that archaeologists would excavate different portions of the city, and that's when they found that hidden city of Nineveh. Well, Nineveh was going down. Nahum chapter 1, and uh, they couldn't negotiate their way out. Look at what verse 12 and 13 says. Although they have allies and they're numerous, they'll be destroyed and they'll pass away. Although I have afflicted you, Judah, I will afflict you no more. Now I will break their yoke for their neck and they will tear your shackles away. Uh, now, as you look at this, they they thought, well, you know, this guy Nahum is giving us this prophecy of doom, and and so maybe we can negotiate. Maybe we can get some of our allies to help us out. Uh, maybe we can kind of work something up. But no, no, that's not going to work. They couldn't negotiate their way out. They also couldn't fight their way out. In Nahum chapter 2, Nineveh summons her troops, and yet they stumble on their way. They call the forces to come in, and they stumble along the way. They dash to the city wall. That protective shield is put in place. Uh, the river gates are thrown open, and the 
palace collapse. It's decreed that Nineveh will be exiled and carried away. Her female slaves will moan like doves and beat on their breasts. Well, here we see they thought, well, hey, you know, we are well fortified. You know, we've got this wall and and we're protected. Uh, We're going to fight our way out of this thing. We're going to use our resources and our strength, but that couldn't keep them from going down. They couldn't even beg their way out. In chapter number two, Nineveh is like a pool whose water is draining away. Stop, stop, they cry, but no one turns back. Uh, So when negotiation didn't work and fighting didn't work, try begging. Please, 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 with sugar on top. I'll never do it again. It got nowhere. And I remember trying to negotiate when I got trouble at at home, right? Uh, You know, please, I'll I'll clean the bathroom and and, and no, 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 it's it's too late. Uh, There's no begging your way out of this one. They couldn't even buy their way out. Look at Nahum chapter 2, 9 and 10. Plunder the silver. Plunder the gold. The supply is endless. The wealth from all treasures. She is pillaged, plundered, stripped. Hearts melt. Knees give way. Bodies tremble. Every face grows pale. They thought, well, you know, we are a prosperous nation. Now, I see the irony of what Nahum is saying. Even in our own nation, I think about the high level of debt that we have as a nation. But we're thinking, well, we're, we're wealthy. We have all these treasures. And oh, yeah, we're in debt up to our eyeballs. And we cannot even afford the interest payments on our debts. And many think, well, we can, can protect ourselves because we are the best and strongest military on the planet. Now, now some would dispute that now, but even that won't protect us when, when God is ready to, to work his way through. And so as we look at this, we see the epic battle of good versus evil. So when you're in the epic battle of good versus evil, make sure you're on God's side. Don't try to convince everybody that God's on your side. Uh, When you're filled with bitterness and backdoor conniving, make sure that you're on God's side. You see, sometimes we can be misled by definitions. In modern life, justice may be a very limited and a forbidden word. A word for the courtroom. When justice is done, we think of a guilty verdicts being pronounced and people get what is coming to them. However, the Bible sees justice as a broader and a deeper topic. It's what's coming to you. In the Old Testament, justice is often paired with righteousness, a word that means having right relationships. A just person acts generously toward the poor, and he defends their rights in court. In the New Testament, the Greek word translated for justice and righteousness actually come from the same root word. The two are inseparable. Together, they sum up all that God cares about and is working for. That includes forgiveness of personal sins, a deepening holiness, growing communities of faith, care for God's creation, generosity to the poor, a good government, a world without wars, protection for the vulnerable, an end to lying and bribes 
family reconciliation, and much, much more. That word justice is making things right, making everything right. So God sends Jesus not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You see, our personal salvation is an expression of God's justice in a crucial part of a bigger story. The story is a struggle that begins within the very first pages of the Bible. In a beautiful garden, a human choice leads to rebellion, alienation from God, and broken relationships. Adam and Eve's child murders his own brother, then refuses to accept his guilt. How is God going to deal with this reality of evil? How will he restore his beautiful world that has gone wrong? The question is profound. Setting the world right is not simply a matter of good intentions. It's not a matter of excellent organization. Evil goes deep, right into the core of humanity. Its stain has penetrated and cannot be wiped off, can't be scrubbed out. God works with deeply flawed creatures. And through such creatures, he calls us into a relationship with him. He calls a man, a guy by the name of Abraham and his wife, Sarah, and he teaches them to live a life of obedience, of faith, and of living a life of doing justice. A family is created in Genesis 18. That family comes and becomes the nation of Israel. God delivers the Israelites from slavery. He gives them a law code promoting justice all in order for them to lead the way in redeeming this broken world. You see, the Bible relates how this nation and how it sins and rejects God and how God's people forget their calling, yet God repeatedly draws them back to himself. Sometimes they do horrible things. Often God has chosen people who are just as bad as anybody else. And so as you're listening to me today, Have you ever wondered if justice will ever be served? I mean, you think about every day. How many people die every single day? It is estimated that just over 150,000 people die every single day. Now, that's staggering. It means that every hour, more than 6,000 people die. Now, these numbers include death, violence, disease, and famine, as well as many other causes of death. Have you ever wondered if goodness is ever going to be rewarded? Think about how many people are born every single day. According to the United States Census Bureau, there is one birth every eight seconds in the United States, or about 10,800 births a day. Worldwide, there are approximately 350 to 400,000 people that are born every day. You see, on one hand, justice is being served. 150,000 people dying every day. The wages of sin is death. That's staggering. But on the other hand, 350,000 people are being born every single day with the goodness of God and the image of God upon them. You see, there is hope. Here is the hope that we find in the book of Nahum. Number one, we can have peace with God. And I want to encourage you as you're listening today to keep short accounts. Nahum says, 
The Lord does not easily become angry, but He is powerful, and He never lets the guilty go unpunished. So God is very patient with us. He doesn't easily fly out the handle. It takes a long time for Him to say, enough is enough. And He is powerful, and He never lets the guilty go unpunished. You see, when we think about having peace with God, we have got to own our part of the problem. God's not very easily angered. You know, many years ago, a woman got very upset with me. She slandered me in public, and she tried her very best to ruin my reputation. You see, God can remove the guilty, but he prefers to restore the guilty. And this woman was restored. She realized that she was totally wrong, and she confessed of that. And to this day, uh, 30 years later, I am still good friends of this lady. You know, the Bible tells us that we should not be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So keep short accounts. You see, God's love is like a bridge that makes reconciliation possible. If you take away the bridge, that separation remains. A guy by the name of George Herbert said, He who cannot forgive others breaks the bridge over which he must pass. So, keep short accounts. If we're going to have peace with God, we must keep short accounts. Number two, we must share enthusiastically. Nahum chapter 1, verse 15. Look, he says, a messenger's coming. He's coming over the mountains. He has some good news. He is on his way to announce victory. The people of Judah will celebrate your festivals, and they're going to give God what you solemnly promised. The wicked will never invade your land again. Oh, don't you love that? A messenger is coming. You know, as followers of Christ, we are God's mouthpiece. We are his messenger, sharing the good news of the gospel. Listen, God wants us to share that message and to share it enthusiastically. You see, plenty of people are going on the low road, but God will take you higher if you take his high road. Uh, many people are, are avoiding conflict and, and uh, dropping snide comments, pretending nothing's wrong. But God honors those who are living honestly, who actually confront problems. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives it to you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. If your heart is troubled... You're not experiencing God's peace. Nineveh was in big trouble, and they were troubled because they were not at peace with God. Even though they didn't understand their troubles, they were at trouble because they were lacking peace. You know, the Apostle Paul actually quotes Nahum 1.15 and Romans 10.15. He says, how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. He quotes two passages of Scripture there, Nahum 1.15 and in a passage in Isaiah. You see, when we have peace with God, we keep short accounts, and we share enthusiastically what God has done for us. 
And then number three, to have peace with God, we must live carefully. Nahum 1-7, the Lord is good. He protects his people in times of trouble. He takes care of those who turn to him. You know, the other day I was going into the prison and I had my umbrella and it was a windy day. And I said, well, I'm going to go ahead and put my umbrella up. And as soon as I did, the wind caught that thing and it turned my umbrella inside out. You know, as a result of my umbrella being turned inside out, I was no longer protected from the rain. When I think about living at peace, God wants us to give our lives over to Him in times of trouble. We are to turn to Him. Proverbs 15, 21 says, Folly brings joy to the one who has no sense, but whoever has understanding keeps a straight course. Listen, we're children of the light. Ephesians 5 tells us that we should awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And then he says, verse 15, Ephesians 5, 14, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. Listen, if you want to live a life of peace, you've got to walk with precision. You've got to walk carefully, buying up the time, because the days are evil. And be careful in all aspects of your life. Be careful when passing judgment. In his book, Grace Awakening, Charles Swindoll recounts an experience that he once had while ministering at a Bible conference. On the first night, he had briefly met a couple who seemed to be friendly and quite glad to be at the conference. On the first night, he had briefly met this couple, and as the week went by, he noticed something unusual. He noticed that the husband, roughly 10 minutes after the speaking would begin, after he would begin his message, the husband would fall fast asleep. Well, this experience began to irritate Charles, so much that by the time of the final meeting, he was convinced that the man was there only to please his wife. And this man was either not a Christian or probably a carnal Christian. Well, at the conclusion of the final meeting, however, the wife requested to speak with Charles for a few minutes. He figured she wanted to talk to him about her husband's lack of interest in spiritual matters. Now imagine how greatly embarrassed Chuck Swindoll was when the wife mentioned that her husband had terminal cancer and that they had attended the conference mainly at his request. It was his final wish to be at the conference, even though the pain medication that he was on was going to make him drowsy. She then said, he loves the Lord and you are his favorite Bible teacher. He wanted to be there to meet you and to hear you, no matter what. Charles Swindoll wrote, I stood there, all alone, as deeply rebuked as I have ever been. Oh, be careful how you walk. What a dangerous thing it is to judge others. Jesus says, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Well, let me give you the fourth way to have peace with God. Expect great things. Name chapter 2, verse 2. The Lord is about to restore 
the glory of Israel, as it was before her enemies plunder it. As you think about the brevity of life, what is the number one regret that people die with? I found there was 11 regrets that people die with that was put together, but the number one regret that people die with is they held off doing something that they wanted to do. That's their number one regret. Today, have you not attempted great things for God because you don't expect great things from God? Perhaps the five most powerful words ever spoken to me. No matter how we may feel with life's ups and downs, we all must someday end our journey in death. As I think about the most important words in life, these most important words is, you are going to die. You are going to die. As you think about those words, expect great things from God before you die. The Lord can restore the glory of Israel, Nahum said. It can be restored like it was before her enemies plunder her. Listen, God can do the same thing for your life. He can restore your life. You know, we can live in victory or we can live in defeat. Thankfully, every day is a great day to get better. Every day is a perfect day to change the track of your life, to reroute your life, to avoid potential destruction. What better way to start than right now? You know, as I looked at that, senior adults, their survey that I mentioned just a moment ago, here is their list. Number one, I wish I wouldn't have compared myself to others. Greatest regrets of seniors. Everyone struggles with this one, right? But there's nothing or nearly nothing that's so detrimental to the fulfillment of our lives than comparing ourselves with others. So instead of comparing yourself to your friends and to your family or your idols, reflect on how far you've come as a person, even if it's just the person you were yesterday. Here's the second greatest regret that these senior adults had. I wish I had taken action and dove in headfirst. Now, I'll let you know a little secret. There's no right way to do things. When God calls you to do something, go into it head first. So many people are paralyzed by the idea of what they want to be because they worry it won't be perfect and they, they worry that it won't happen as quickly as they want it to happen. Well, it won't. But what's worse than dedicating time to such a dream and going at a snail's progress? Every little bit of progress. Dive in head first. And number three, the greatest regret of seniors. I wish I tuned the world out more. Everyone around you tries to dictate to you who you are and who you should be, uh, but nobody needs to validate you. Your worth is found in Christ. Don't worry about pleasing everybody, uh, your parents, your bosses, and don't worry about all that. You need to worry about making sure that God is pleased with you. It's another regret. I wish I didn't wait to start it tomorrow. You see, excuses are plentiful because they're so easy to make. You'll always find a reason to validate inaction. And as you look at the deathbed regrets, the things you want to do tomorrow can effortlessly turn into things you wish you did 50 years ago. So don't put it off today. Tomorrow, what you can do 
today. Number five, I wish I had taken more chances. The fear of rejection, of failure, dissipates in the face of death. Number six, I wish I would have kept on going. Even if you are brave enough to take the chance, failure is going to happen. Don't give up. Keep on going. Number seven, I wish I had told others how much I love them. Everyone wants to feel appreciated, but very few are willing to tell others how much they appreciate them. Number eight, I wish I was content with what I have. Number nine, I wish I took better care of myself. Number 10, I wish I'd listened to others more. Number 11, I wish I would not have held onto that grudge. Oh, we have a wonderful list here. So Lord, as we wrap up our time together and prepare for the weekend, I pray that we will attend a worship service this weekend. I pray that we will appreciate the loved ones that you have brought into our lives. I pray that we will listen more and that we will be more engaged with the people that we love. Help us not to hold on to that grudge. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.